Today is the third Sunday of 2022 and as I've done over the last couple of weeks I'm going to bring a message with the new year in view. This will be the third in a little series of topical sermons that address some of the basic elements of the Christian life and of our life together as a local body of believers. Uh, Two weeks ago I preached on one of the greatest challenges we're going to face this year and that is the temptation to be conformed to this world. Uh, Last Sunday I spoke about something we won't be able to do without, each other's love. We're all going to need someone to come alongside us and help us bear a burden. This morning I'm going to talk about something we're all called to do as followers of Jesus and that is to share the gospel with others, to make disciples. This is the great commission that Jesus committed to those who follow him. I'm sure you know the verse as well. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Uh, This is a sermon on the subject of evangelism. And I'm going to approach the topic in a bit of a different way this morning that I hope will make sense when we get to the end. To begin with, I want to read one verse from 2 Peter chapter 2. So if you could direct your attention there. 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 5. It says, speaking of God, And spared not the old world, but saved Noah, the eighth person, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood upon the world of the ungodly. For our purposes today, I'm not concerned with the argument the Apostle Peter is setting forth in this portion of his epistle. What I want to focus on is what he calls Noah. God spared not the old world, but saved Noah, the eighth person, a preacher of righteousness. The Greek word translated preacher refers to a, a herald. One who was entrusted with a message from the king or the emperor and responsible for declaring it to the citizens of a town or a village or to a specific group or to an individual. Noah was a herald. Noah was a person who declared a message of righteousness. He proclaimed to others what was right in God's eyes. In keeping with this verse, I think we have this image of an aged Noah preaching to the people around him, warning them about the flood, imploring them to believe what God had said. Perhaps we've seen him represented this way in Bible story books or in Sunday school lessons or in children's cartoons or in movies. And there is no doubt that he did preach to those around him. The Bible says so right here in 2 Peter that he proclaimed a message of righteousness. But here's the thing. Nowhere in the Old Testament account of Noah's life do we see him preaching. The image we have of Noah isn't there in the Old Testament text. I wonder if you've noticed that before. When we recognise this little detail, 
It makes Noah's life before the flood even more interesting. And I think it makes it quite instructive for us as we seek to be preachers of righteousness in our community, as we seek to share the gospel with our neighbours and our friends. Now let's go over to Genesis chapter 6 and we'll read the account the Holy Spirit has given us via the pen of Moses. This is where we're going to spend most of our time together this morning. Genesis chapter 6, beginning reading at verse 1, and please follow along as I read aloud. And it came to pass when men began to multiply on the face of the earth, and daughters were born unto them, that the sons of God saw the daughters of men that they were fair, and they took them wives of all which they chose. And the Lord said, My spirit shall not always strive with man, for that he also is flesh. In his days shall be in 120 years. There were giants in the earth in those days, and also after that, when the sons of God came in unto the daughters of men, and they bare children to them, the same became mighty men which were of old, men of renown. And God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And it repented the Lord that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him at his heart. And the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast, and the creeping thing and the fowls of the air, for it repenteth me that I have made them. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. These are the generations of Noah. Noah was a just man and perfect in his generations, and Noah walked with God. And Noah begat three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. The earth also was corrupt before God, and the earth was filled with violence. And God looked upon the earth, and behold, it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted his way upon the earth. And God said unto Noah, The end of all flesh is come before me, for the earth is filled with violence through them, and behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Make thee an ark of gopher wood. Rooms shalt thou make in the ark, and shall pitch it within and without with pitch. And this is the fashion which thou shalt make of it. The length of the ark shall be 300 cubits, the breadth of it 50 cubits, and the height of it 30 cubits. A window shalt thou make to the ark, and in a cubit shalt thou finish it above, and the door of the ark shalt thou set in the side thereof, with lower, second, and third stories shalt thou make it. And behold, I, even I, do bring a flood of waters upon the earth, to destroy all flesh, wherein is the breath of life, from under heaven, and everything that is in the earth shall die. But with thee will I establish my covenant. Thou shalt come into the ark, thou and thy sons and thy wife and thy sons' wives with thee. And of every living thing of all flesh, two of every sort, shalt thou bring into the ark to keep them alive with thee. They shall be male and female, of fowls after their kind, and of cattle after their kind. Of every creeping thing of the earth after his kind, two of every sort shall come unto thee to keep them alive. And take thou unto thee of all food that is eaten, and thou shalt gather it to thee, and it shall be for food for thee and for them. Thus did Noah, according to all that commanded him, so did he. Amen. I'm not going to comment on every detail in this chapter, nor am I going to pull on every thread of doctrine or theology. Rather, I'm going to draw your attention to two features of the narrative, two points, which will bring us to a third point, 
Back to our verse in 2 Peter chapter 2 and then finally to some application for our Christian lives. Okay, so two points in the narrative. Then a third point connected to what we read in the New Testament about Noah. And then some application. So here we go. The first thing I want you to see is what I've called an unmissable contrast. Moses, who was the author or perhaps the compiler of Genesis, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, seems to go out of his way to tell us how wicked the world had become when Noah was alive. Verse 5, And God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Verse 11, The earth also was corrupt before God, and the earth was filled with violence. Verse 12, And God looked upon the earth, and behold, it was corrupt. For all flesh had corrupted his way upon the earth. Verse 13, And God said unto Noah, The end of all flesh is come before me, for the earth is filled with violence. Wickedness, evil, corruption and violence. These are the words that stand out. These phenomena had come to characterise human society and human relationships. Obviously, things like greed and dishonesty and uh, the very worst forms of sexual immorality are included in this idea of corruption. Uh, It's a synonym for complete moral depravity. But what has always struck me in this passage, no pun intended, is the violence. Twice we have this expression, the earth was filled with violence. What Cain did to Abel had become a feature of human society. Violence was normal. Physical cruelty, physical abuse, rape, assault, robbery, murder. People can be very immoral without violence. Violence represents an even deeper level of depravity. The world was rotten. The wickedness of man was great in the earth. The thoughts of man's heart was only evil continually. And God was grieved. That's the vivid picture that Moses paints. And then we get to verse 8. And it's like the screen suddenly flashes to an altogether different scene. Or to use another metaphor, it's like the car suddenly makes a very sharp turn. Verse 8, but Noah... Things were really, really, really bad to the point that God had decided to judge the world. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Verse 9, these are the generations of Noah. Noah was a just man and perfect in his generations and Noah walked with God. I think Moses wants us to see the contrast, don't you? I think he wants us to see that the world was in a total mess, it was totally corrupt, but there was this man who wasn't. This man who was completely different. In verse 9 we're told three things about Noah. These are the features that made him different. First of all, we're told that he was a just man. Uh, This is the Hebrew word that is elsewhere translated righteous. Noah was righteous in his manner of life. 
He obeyed the law of God, the, the law that was written in his heart. He lived according to the knowledge of God that had been passed down from his forefathers. Now sure, Noah didn't have the Ten Commandments. But that didn't mean there was no revelation from God, that there was no way of knowing how God wanted him to live. In every age, God has left men and women with a witness to himself and to his will. Human persons have always been without excuse, the Apostle Paul tells us in Romans chapter 1. Noah knew how God wanted him to live. And unlike everyone else, he endeavoured to live that way, to live in a manner that was right, to please the Lord. Noah lived a moral life in a very immoral world. But I think Moses is saying more than that when he tells us that Noah was a just man. He is telling us that Noah was a justified man, that he had received righteousness from God on account of his faith. Uh, This is one of the threads that runs through the book of Genesis. What was true for Abraham in Genesis chapter 15 was true for Noah in Genesis chapter 6. Noah believed in the Lord and he counted it to him for righteousness. And I'll say more about this in a moment. The second thing we're told about Noah in verse 9 is that he was perfect in his generation. Now, this does not mean that he was sinless. It refers to his reputation. It's the idea of being blameless. He was known in his community for being upright. There was no whiff of scandal, no suggestion of dodgy business dealings, or that there was another side to him. One author puts it this way, the demonised culture did not divert him or pervert him, nor could it indict him. No one could bring a charge against Noah. All of his neighbours were bent, but he was straight, and everyone knew that. The third feature that made Noah different is that he walked with God. Now, we've come across this expression before in the book of Genesis. This was said of Enoch in chapter 5. I think R. Kent Hughes explains this very well in his commentary. He says, Enoch and Noah were the only primeval patriarchs to walk with God. They experienced a taste of the intimacy and obedience that pre-fallen Adam and Eve knew when God walked with them in the garden. I don't know whether Noah literally walked with God in the sense that Adam and Eve did. We know that at various times in the book of Genesis, the Lord did meet with particular people in person. But whatever the case, this speaks of a close relationship This tells us that communion with God was part of Noah's life. All of Noah's neighbours and the world at large didn't give God a second thought. To use the language of Paul, they did not like to retain God in their knowledge. But Noah, he walked with God. He knew God. He spent time with God. I don't think it's a stretch to say that he loved God. And so we can see the contrast, can't we? A wicked world and righteous Noah. 
And because God is gracious, he provided a way for Noah to escape the judgment that he was going to pour out upon the world. And that brings us to the ark and to the second point in our outline, what I've called a long obedience. God told Noah what he was going to do. God told Noah that he was going to judge the world. And he commanded Noah to build what was essentially a very large wooden box, a vessel in which he, his family and the animals would survive a great flood. The Lord gave Noah very detailed instructions. He told him what materials to use to construct the ark. He gave him specific dimensions and then he told him how he was to make provisions for his family and for the animals. Uh, I'm sure you've heard sermons or watched presentations that dig into all of these details. Uh, We probably all have an image in our mind of what the ark may have looked like. I'm not going to get into that with you this morning. Rather, I want to direct your attention to verse 22. It says, Thus did Noah, according to all that God commanded him, so did he. Noah built this vessel according to the instruction that God had given him, and it was no small undertaking. (laughs) Uh, This wasn't building a garden shed over a couple of weekends. Uh, This wasn't taking six months off work to build your own home. (laughs) This was an undertaking of an altogether different scale. We don't know exactly how long it took Noah to build the ark. Uh, Some see the reference to 120 years in verse 3 as a kind of countdown to the flood, and that may be so, but I don't think it tells us how long it took Noah to build the ark. In the biblical text, we have two time references in Noah's life that gives, give us some idea. Look back, please, to chapter 5, verse 32. Genesis chapter, six, verse, uh, chapter 5, verse 32. It says, And Noah was 500 years old. Noah begat Shem, Ham, and Japheth. And then go over to chapter 7, verse 6. So from 5.32 to 7, verse 6, it says, And Noah was 600 years old when the flood of waters was upon the earth. So we, we have this period of 100 years in which Noah had three sons. They grew up and got married. He built the ark. His family all entered into the ark with the animals and the flood came. Now I'm not going to get into the weeds with you this morning. Uh, There is a a very helpful article about this on the Answers in Genesis website in case you're interested. But when you put all the biblical data together and make some fairly reasonable assumptions, it's, it's likely that Noah spent somewhere between 55 and 75 years building the ark. Even if that's out by 10 or 20 years, the point is that it is still a long time. It took Noah a long time. Noah persevered, didn't he? (laughs) I'm sure there were days, perhaps weeks, even whole months, where he felt like giving up. (laughs) What's the point? (laughs) Why am I doing this? This is ridiculous. And Noah's long obedience raises a very interesting question. How did he do it? What sustained him? What fueled his commitment to finishing the job? The writer to the Hebrews shed some light on this. You're welcome to turn to Hebrews chapter 11, or you can listen as I read. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 
7. Hebrews chapter 11 verse 7, the Bible says, By faith Noah, being warned of God of things not seen as yet, moved with fear, prepared an ark to the saving of his house, by the which he condemned the world, and became heir of the righteousness which is by faith. The answer is pretty clear, isn't it? It was Noah's faith that fueled his obedience. He believed in the Lord. He believed that what God said would come to pass, even though he had never seen such a thing, never seen a flood. But it wasn't just his faith. The text says he was moved with fear. Now this doesn't mean he was afraid of perishing in the flood. This doesn't mean he was afraid of God. This is not the word phobos from which we get our English word phobia. This is a word that refers to reverence. One scholar defines it this way. It is to be influenced by a pious awe. I like that. To be influenced by a pious awe. Noah believed in the Lord. He had faith and he feared the Lord. He had that healthy respect, that reverence for God. He recognised who God was and who he was and that it was fitting for him as a creature to honour the Lord by obeying him. These things inside of Noah, in his mind and in his heart, his faith and his fear of the Lord, these are what sustained him through those many years of hard labour, building the ark. And then one final thing to note in this verse in Hebrews chapter 11 is that the writer places Noah in the lineage of Old Testament saints, of those who received and experienced the promise of God, the gift of righteousness by faith. The verse says that Noah became heir of the righteousness which is by faith. This is another way of saying that Noah was justified by faith. He was saved from the flood, And he was saved from perishing for all eternity, not by his good works, not by his own efforts, but by faith, by trusting in the Lord. Building the ark was the fruit of his faith. And so, an unmissable contrast and a long obedience... That's what we see in the life of Noah before the flood. And that brings us back to where we started, back to our verse in 2 Peter chapter 2. This is the context in which Noah was a preacher of righteousness. And this is the third and final heading in the outline. I've put a couple of quotes in the outline that I think tie all of this together. What we read in Genesis chapter 6 and what the Apostle Peter says about Noah in his second epistle. The first quote is from the noted New Testament scholar D.A. Carson. He says, The Old Testament text nowhere explicitly states that Noah is a preacher of righteousness. Though probably imaginative reading of the narrative presupposes that Noah would have to provide some sort of rationale for his activity before the ungodly watching world. Noah, what are you doing? Noah! Why have you spent so many years building this thing? Well, thanks for asking. Let me tell you all about it. We can understand how the ark that he was building 
provided an opportunity to preach righteousness, to tell people about God, about their Creator, about how He was grieved by their wickedness and how they needed to turn from their sin and trust in Him. Another commentator explains it this way. It's a longer quote, but I think it's spot on. It's there in the outline. The Old Testament does not say that Noah was a preacher of righteousness, but it is a natural implication to be drawn from the narrative. The belief that Noah preached was a current Jewish tradition. Preacher, a keruka in Greek, a herald, carries the thought of one who proclaims a message entrusted to him and it implies the obligation of fidelity in communicating that message. That Noah's life, so different from the ungodly masses around him, preached to the people seems obvious. Certainly his construction of the ark raised questions and his explanation must have included a warning of coming judgment and a plea for righteousness. His righteous heart demanded such preaching for how could any good man keep quiet when he saw others going to ruin. It was Noah's manner of life and his enduring obedience that enabled him to be a preacher of righteousness. These gave him the opportunity to speak God's truth to a godless world and credibility when he did speak. It's here that I think Noah has two very important things to teach us about evangelism, about fulfilling the commission that Jesus has entrusted to us. And these are what I want to leave you with today. Number one, Noah teaches us that we have to be different. And what this looks like is described in Genesis chapter 6, verse 9. Noah was a just man and perfect in his generations, and Noah walked with God. We cannot preach righteousness authentically or effectively if we are not righteous ourselves. Now, I don't mean we have to be perfect. I don't mean that we have to have it all together, but there has to be this same unmissable contrast. Or else why would anyone listen to us? Why would the world notice us or pay attention to what we have to say? Why would they want what we've got if we're just like they are? Just as selfish, just as proud, just as lustful, just as angry, just as anxious. What was true of Noah has to be true of us especially as we live in a world that is becoming more like the one that Noah lived in. We need to be righteous. Righteous in our manner of life because that's what is fitting for those who have received God's gift of righteousness. As we saw a couple of weeks ago, we're not to be conformed to this world, but transformed by the renewing of our mind. Furthermore, we need to be perfect in our generation, like Noah was in his that is, we need to have a good reputation. We have to be known in our community for our honesty, our courtesy, our kindness and our compassion. We need to be known for being Christians because this is how Christians behave. And to do that, we have to walk with God. Communion with God can't just be a one-hour thing we do on a Sunday morning. It has to be part of our everyday lives. 
For it's in our relationship with God that we draw our strength and our wisdom. He is the one who renews us inwardly as we spend time with him. He is the one who changes us by the work of his spirit as we receive his word. Noah teaches us that we have to be different. And then number two, he teaches us that we have to be doing something different. Noah was doing something unique. Something that no one else was doing. Something that stood out. He was building an ark. And he kept at it year after year after year. And we have to follow in his footsteps if we're going to reach our community with the gospel. We have to be involved in doing something that the world isn't doing, something that stands out. We need to be building our own ark. And we are. Or at least we're supposed to be. I don't want to take this analogy too far, but the church is our version of the ark. Now, Jesus is our ark. Jesus saves us from judgment. Jesus saves us from everlasting death. Salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. But with that said, what are we doing? What are are we doing as a local assembly of his disciples? We're building up his body. By His grace, we are building this place of safety, this this place, this family where people find respite from the world. We're building this body where people find real love and real friendship, where they find healing for their broken hearts, where they find encouragement and joy. If we are involved in building this ark, if we are doing something different with our lives, And it certainly is different in 2022 to be committed to a local church. (laughs) We're involved in building this ark. People will notice. People will be curious. There will be opportunities to preach righteousness. To share the life-giving good news. We have to get out of our minds this idea that there is church and then there is evangelism. That's a false dichotomy. Participating in the life of the church is evangelism. Now, it's not all there is. Of course, Christ calls us to share the good news as we go out into our community. We have to open our mouths and speak to the unbelieving world like Noah did. But brothers and sisters, what we do here, what you do here, also speaks to the world out there. It shows that you have a different set of values, that you serve a different master. Our life together puts on vivid display the loveliness of the Lord Jesus Christ and the beauty of his gospel, or at least it should. We have to be different And we have to be doing something different if we're going to fulfil the great and glorious commission that Jesus has entrusted us with. Noah continued to build that ark year after year after year and he preached a message of righteousness to all those who came into his orbit. God calls us to do the same thing. 
to invest our lives into building this ark and to share the life-giving good news with those who come into our orbit, whether we meet them here in our fellowship or out there in our community. What are you going to do this year? How seriously will you take this matter of evangelism? With God's help, will you try to be different? Will you try to live a righteous life? Or will you take the easier approach and blend in with the world around you? Will you do something different with your life? Or will you fall into line with everyone else and live for the same kind of things? I love this little ark of ours. And I hope God will use it this year to bring men and women, boys and girls, to the place of safety, to faith in his son Jesus Christ and everlasting life. May God help us. Amen.